Welcome everyone to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman, here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? I think I'm doing all right. I'm not sick so far. Dude, it's hella awkward. Uh, I, I, went, I was like the guy that was a little bit sick right before East Denver. And then everyone on Twitter was talking about how they got sick at East Denver. And I'm just like sitting back, just like, <laughs> swear to God, I was, you know, washed my hands. But it was the most mild sickness I've ever had. And I'm, I'm good to go now. But yeah, wasn't wasn't Corona. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh god i'm i'm really sad that we brought this up this corona <laughs> thing is really crazy though like yeah i can't tell I th- what side i'm on well I, I don't have a side but i thought the most interesting observation actually came from nathaniel whitmore who said that like this is one of the first times he can remember that everyone was just assuming that whatever the governments were telling us was a lie oh that is interesting well, yeah. not all the governments, though, right? Just just China? Yeah, but I think that people also assume that, you know, whatever the U.S. and Europe and other governments were doing were also, like, not true. But definitely everyone was just assuming that China was definitely a lie. Oh, yeah. You need, you need to first double the number of fatalities because they don't have good data collection. And then you need to 10, 10x it versus from the, the lies that they produced. I don't think the United States government or European governments would lie, though. I think they are just trying to, they're, they're just in the dark like we are. Yeah, I don't know. It seems as though the U.S. government is probably the least prepared to deal with this. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that they would lie. I guess. Why would, I don't we, why would we be the like, least prepared? I mean, we're, first and foremost, we're not testing anyone. We yeah, don't true. have a lot of kids. Uh, we're taking very few measures so far. Like Europe has been cracking down a lot harder. I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know mm-hmm. if that is more, if that's more productive to be authoritarian about these diseases or mm-hmm. not. Dude, like the first death in the United States was in Seattle, like four days ago. Uh, and now the first five deaths in the United States are all in Seattle, like as of today. And like, a week ago, I was in Seattle and I flew out to Florida and I'm like, safe, <laughs> safe, I'm out, <laughs> I'm out. Dude, Dave, David, you are, you're just- I'm just spreading it. I'm just spreading it wherever I go. <laughs> you, you brought sickness to East Denver and now uh-huh. you're going from God, Seattle to Florida. <laughs> Florida's nice though because I, I, the main complaint I have about Florida is that everything's super spread out. But now in the context of coronavirus, that's a really good thing to, to, to be. Um, yeah, kind of, kind of like what I was, density. what I was saying though. I, I, yeah, density, no density is good. Um, but again, I don't. I, I'm going. I keep going back and forth on how severe this actually is. Like, uh, my mom was in the Peace Corps in Africa when Ebola was a thing, and so she started paying attention to shit like this, like really, really in detail. And she's a smart lady, uh, and and she just seems that she's just not too worried about it. Like. It's not as viral as the flu. It is more deadly than the flu, but it, it, and it's not going after women or kids. It's mainly going after men, specifically old men. Uh, and it's, if for young, healthy people, it's really just going to be like a really nasty cold or really nasty flu. Um, she, she doesn't seem too concerned. And, and from, all the, from all the articles and, and stuff I've been listening to, it, it seems like it's, it's not really going to be that big of a deal there's much more mania and much more fear than there is actual substance there. Um, 
but at the same time, like I did go and buy an extra cycle of groceries to just stock up on my, in my, in my apartment. I just don't know. I just don't know how scared to be. And I don't think anyone else does. And that's kind of probably also what we're seeing reflected in the market. Yeah. I mean, the Dow went up a lot today, I guess. <laughs> yeah. After, yeah. After going down a lot though. Right. Yeah. A thousand point loss in a day. I just, it's, it's tough. Like I, I'm not an expert, so I really don't even like commenting about this stuff that yeah. much. I just no. like, even I was walking around SF, right? No one has masks. And even mm-hmm. if they wanted to get masks, they couldn't. So right. like you can't get masks. It's crazy. Like mm-hmm. it, it's, I, I just feel like this is either going to be a nothing burger or it's not. And if it's not a nothing burger, like, I don't see anything to make me think that we are set to go. I went to Costco though and I bought a shitload of beef. So my yeah, my my, my freezer is full of red meat. That yeah, high quality I, good good. When I said I bought an extra cycle of groceries, really all I did is I bought an ex, extra box box of meat from Butcher Box. And so I'm just gonna have a shipment of, of meat on my doorstep. Yeah, um, I mean, dude, if I were you, like I would make sure you have at least two weeks worth of food in your fridge. Yeah, I, yeah, I've got that. Plus, I can fast. I can fast for a week if it really needs to. What yeah. I'm really worried about dude, is toilet paper. Pro, I need to go pros to of keto. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> dude. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, we should do our ads, huh? <laughs> yeah. So for everyone listening to this so far, you've been totally bamboozled into getting ads. <laughs> but if you're those type that just fast forward over ads all the time, let me tell you about eToro. eToro <laughs> is the number one social trading platform in the world. eToro started what? They started bringing U.S. equities to international con- or you know non-U.S. countries back in 2013, and then as a traditional financial institution, they had the foresight to be like, "Holy shit, we should do something with Bitcoin!" Like way before backed, way before any of these other guys, way before Fidelity. Although I guess Fidelity was mining, but Etoro was like, "There's opportunity with Bitcoin." Obviously, a really good move. Uh, They became one of the biggest Bitcoin and crypto exchanges in the world. And now they've brought their world-class crypto exchange and trading technology to the U.S. with eToro USA. Uh, I'm sure you guys have heard a ton about them just because they have been supporting so many content creators in this space in this move to the U.S. Um, But I've gotten onto their site and I have played around with their platform really easy way to buy and sell your favorite cryptocurrencies. And they have a ton of really cool and novel trading tools. They have copy traders, they have index investing, uh, they have a kind of virtual fake money trading platform where you can get on and just practice. It's really a one-stop shop for everything. I like to use it to stack stats and you can actually get onto eToro right now and stack stats or buy ether or whatever you want to do and if you buy up to a hundred dollars worth of an asset with your first investment you can get a free ticket to bitcoin 2020 conference so in order to unlock that deal you need to go through bitcoin 2020 conference.com backslash etoro and with that link and you sign up through there you make your first hundred dollar purchase and you get a four hundred dollar ticket to bitcoin 2020 it is a nothing brainer Mm -hmm. $400 $400 ticket for you and a hundred dollar of Bitcoin. So, uh, I mean, let's go. That's just, this, this is a win. That's plus $500 to you just for, you know, signing in that way. Uh, next is Unchained Capital. So again, this is one of my favorite companies in the space. They are a Bitcoin native financial institution and they are built 
on the foundation of multi-sig. Uh, multi-sig is one of the features that makes Bitcoin such a new form of digital and fully, uh, you know, I guess fully internet-based currencies. And it's a, a wonderful feature that was not possible before. But now because of Bitcoin multi-sig, you can have trustless banking services. Unchained Capital can provide banking services to you while all the money is always in your custody and all the money is always on-chain and never rehypothecated. Their first feature that I really like is their Volt feature. I use this every day. Um, it allows you to really easily set up multi-sig that you have full control over, two of three. Un Unchained can just be that third countersigner to help you out in case you lose a key or in case the countersign with you so that way you can separate your keys. Their other amazing feature is their loans feature. So there's a lot of Bitcoin-backed loan uh, lenders out there, but almost all of them rehypothecate your Bitcoin. So that means you give them your Bitcoin, they have it in their custody, and then they loan it out to someone else so that, we, that way they can make money on your Bitcoin. So you're making money and they're making even more money by loaning out your Bitcoin. With Unchained Capital, you when you send them their Bitcoin, you have a key, they have a key, and a third-party um, arbiter has a key, and that Bitcoin stays in that address. It's never rehypothecated. So friends don't let friends sell Bitcoin, and real Bitcoiners don't let their keys get rehypothecated. So Unchained Capital, really a Bitcoin native, fantastic Bitcoin company, using multi-sig, doing everything to help Bitcoin. Check them out at Unchained Capital, unchained-capital.com, or at Unchained Cap. Whew, man, two in a row. That was a marathon. Well done, sir. Thank you. We need some more Ethereum sponsors on this goddamn podcast. I guess that's my responsibility. Quantstape is coming back. So, oh, yeah? Yeah. Nice. Thank nice. you, Danger. Thank you, Danger. Yeah, we need Danger. Do I was it just so getting get started. <laughs> yeah, I was just getting started with how awesome my Quantstape ads were, were going to be. Now, now, with all this like BZX material and and the uh, episode with Richard Ma, I should be able to really do do some of my best work here. Yeah. So uh, what what's next? Let's 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 move past the virus because I mean, let's be frank. Neither of us are experts. I'm an expert on everything that that comes out of my mouth. That's funny. Do we want to talk about Pomp's uh, Pomp's newsletter this morning? Okay. Well, I guess let, let's talk about that and then uh, jump into your big announcement because we we got some exciting oh, yeah. news coming from you. Yeah, that, that, that'll bleed in nicely. So Pomp's, Pomp's newsletter today says, ETH is no different than a fiat currency, which is just fantastic. Like, well done, Pomp. Like, real good research here. Uh, it's, it's actually even debatable or even uh, up, up for debate, I guess, whether Pomp is actually the person writing these or whether it's a bunch of interns who just do the minimum amount of research uh, needed to get this thing out the door. Uh, Really, really good clickbaity title. So I'm sure, I mean, it works. It, it triggered a bunch of Ethereum people, myself included. Um, and so he, he cites uh, ETHUB, uh, cites the monetary uh, policy of minimum necessary issuance, uh, and then goes in and, and cites the history behind that. Uh, and then also cites uh, what he called, take the recent interview that the Defiant, the, the Defiant and Camila Russo did with David Hoffman, for example. First off, the Defiant and Camila Russo is the same same thing. And second off, it wasn't a fucking interview. It was just an article that I posted in the Defiant. Uh, and then he summarized what an I said. An op-ed, like, if you will. An op-ed, yeah. 
as a result of, and here's what I, here's a quote from my article. As a result of this demand, Ether has become an economic trifecta, a triple point asset satisfying all the requirements that the new economy needs all at once. As a result of this, Ether has become the best model for money that the world has come up with. Uh, and then Pomp goes, my general position is that the mechanics of the decentralized finance services will eventually be built around truly sound money, Bitcoin, and I'm actively looking for teams to fund in that area. I have nothing against Ethereum or Ether, but feel it is important to spell approvable, approvable false narrative when I see them. Like, what's the point of even like citing my article if you're not going to talk about it? He just cites my article and then goes, I'm of the general position that I am a Bitcoiner who believes that DeFi can't come, that will eventually come to Bitcoin because it's sound money. And I'm going to fund all these teams to, to do that. Totally misunderstanding the whole point that the reason why Ethereum was created was to create things that couldn't be bit, built on Bitcoin. Anyways, that's my rant. What's up? But what is so? <laughs> what 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 is what is more similar? Minimal viable issuance uh -huh. to Bitcoin or mm -hmm. to the U.S. dollar? What do you mean? Oh. What is it more to, similar to? To Bitcoin. So you think minimal viable issuance is closer to Bitcoin than it is to the than it is to the US dollars monetary policy. As a yeah, as a description of the monetary policy, MVI is more adequately associated with Bitcoin than with the US dollar. Yes, I believe that. Why is that? Uh, well, cuz Bitcoin believes that minimum viable issuance is zero and the dollar doesn't believe in minimum issuance at all. The dollar is probably like the opposite. The dollar is like maximum viable issuance. Maximum issuance without destroying the economy. That's, that is what Bitcoiners believe that the, the Federal Reserve's monetary policy is. How much that's dollars not what they can say. print without fucking... No, that's, they haven't said that, but that's kind of implicitly what they believe. I mean, they believe that printing money fixes things. I don't know. If, uh, I think that's pretty clear by their actions, but uh, I don't know if that they are trying to print maximally. They've never stated that outwardly. Yeah, but, but you can infer that from their belief that if people can print money, they will print money. Like if you have the incentive of, is too strong to print money. And so if, if we follow incentives, the incentive is to print as much money as possible while still being able to retain your power to print money. So then you have to be responsible so you don't print too much, but you still wanna print because it goes into your pockets. I feel like that's a, that is a, a logical extrapolation of the Austrian criticism of, of central planning of monetary policy. And what makes Ethereum different than that right now? We are minimum viable issuance, not maximum viable issuance. All the issuance of Ether goes down. I mean, but what if, what if Ether needs to be printed to save the system? Well, yeah. So if ether, if more ether needs to be printed because the system is insecure, then that's still minimum viable issuance. I mean, can you say that about the current system? Is that they're operating under minimal viable issuance to keep the the system afloat? Yeah, that sounds right. I mean, well, every there you every go. time. I mean, I just I just correlated them together. They're both using minimal viable issuance. What? Just one has escalated. Yeah, just the U.S. dollar has is escalated to the point where they started off not printing that much, and now they just print a shit ton in order to keep everything going. Yeah, but Ether's three changes to its monetary policy is to reduce. 
first and foremost, those are really bad changes because they're all like social changes and not programmatic. And then the future programmatic change, like uh, flexibility has no Lindy. Okay, so you're giving a subjective lens upon what is good or bad with the, the change in the monetary policy because it's done by humans instead of, instead of an algorithm. And then you're saying when it is an algorithm, you can't trust it because it's it's, it'll be new instead of old. Well, it hasn't been proven that the humans can take their fingers off the button. Yeah, so this was, who was talking about this? The, uh, Nick Carter was bringing this up uh, in his podcast today on Castle Island with uh, the guys talking about open source development, talking about how uh, decentralization is something that emerges rather than is constructed and talking about how uh, like socialism was thought to be a system that would reduce the size of the state to a minimum and eventually the centralization of power would diffuse across people as people rose up and took over control of the industry and of companies and then socialism like the central planning of socialism would just diffuse over time and then turns out that was the opposite turns out you know it just gets more over time and so that's like the bitcoiners criticism of the ef right like the ef is the central planner of the ethereum industry uh, and you know the EF, the, according to the criticisms of central planning, then the EF is always going to become more in control, exhibit more influence rather than that, rather than uh, you know pushing control out to the edges. But if you look at the actual actions of the EF, it has nothing at all to do with the growth of central planning and the growth of the central planner. Like the the sub the social contract of the EF is to always get smaller. And so they don't hire, they contract. They don't accrue ether, they spend it. Like everything about the EF is destined to get smaller over time. And so like when, when you say that like, yeah, Ethereum hasn't proven that humans are gonna be ready to hand over the keys to uh, a computer so we can't trust it. I'm saying, well, well then you're just, you're saying that the entire social contract and the, the entire behavior of the entire organism is going to go against the things that it's already been doing for the past like five years. I mean, I think it's AirPods fair to died. say what you said. My AirPods just died. We'll figure it out later. Go ahead. As in it's com the sound is coming out of your, head your computer? No, just one, but it will in the future. You got to put one inside the case right now. <laughs> uh, the case is at home. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! All right, we gotta make it a short show. Okay. Um, oh shit! I can I can mute myself while you're talking. That's fine. It's Zoom. Zoom's good about that. That's not. It won't be an issue. All right. Uh, so the EF acting one way for the last five years and mm -hmm. not acting the same way, or essentially what you're saying is that this organization of humans, because of the social contract we can assume that they will continue acting in this way. Yes. Okay. But realistically, the way that they've been acting is they have been controlling the Ethereum network and they've been making centralized decisions about its issuance, whether it's up or down. The EF has? So therefore, yeah. And so therefore, we should expect that because of this, or because of this, uh, this history that they will continue to, and they will not change that behavior of making centrally planned decisions about the blockchain 
The EF has not been controlling the issuance or monetary policy of Ethereum. I mean, have have key decision makers in like what is the decision making process to lower the ether that is being emitted per block? Uh, the the most recent EIP to reduce ether per block was, if I'm if I'm correct, was submitted by uh, your best friend Hunting Island and was just accepted, and then it got incorporated. So what's what's the accepted pro, uh, process? Yeah, rough consensus from the core devs on the all, all core devs call. Which so I how guess do you feel, how, how you feel about Progpow? How do I feel about Progpow? Yeah, and that is that rough consensus on the on Progpow valid? No, and that's that's why there's so much fight pushback from the Ethereum community because there was not rough consensus. I think if if the Ethereum community succeeds in in giving the middle finger to Progpal and telling it to fuck off, and Progpal doesn't go in, so much of the Bitcoiner like uh, criticisms about Ethereum governance go out the window. At the same time as they're here in the first place, like ProgPal wouldn't wouldn't be a, an issue if if all of the Bitcoiner criticisms weren't valid. But at the same time, you know the Ethereum immune system fought it off. It fought off the virus that is ProgPal. Has it fought it off? Not yet. We'll see. I, the I, the the hard fork date was like set for like the middle of March or the end of March or something. I can't remember. It'll be delayed. Well, there's, there's two. There's two hard forks. It's back to back. It's a lot of hard forks. It doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't matter. They are, it is inconsequential. I mean, if there's this a trust in your model, then yes. Like, I think that, I think really that's what Pomp is trying to say is that as long as there is trust in the system that is like inherent to the system, then what's the difference between that and fiat? I that think is literally that is, his point. <laughs> I think that's giving huge credit to what his point is. I don't think, even think he had a point. He would just wrote an article about how Bitcoin is sound money and how DeFi is coming I to mean, Bitcoin. Maybe he's trying to flame you guys. Um, I would say that there's a good chance that Ethereum will bring DeFi to Bitcoin. If that's even DeFi is not wanted. coming to Bitcoin. <laughs> what are you talking about? Well, first and foremost, Bitcoin is already decentralized financial infrastructure yeah it is a it is a application of DeFi, but the DeFi sure. ecosystem is not going to foster an ecosystem of DeFi. bitcoin it like bitcoin is already fostering this entire system like ethereum is built on top of bitcoin that's such bullshit dude that is it, bitcoin is monetary infrastructure for ethereum how did the how did so the ethereum PayPal. how did how did the ethereum presale happen how did all those people get that money? It do, that, that doesn't even matter. That's, it does. Once it, because it, it was necessary in order for them to happen. Like That shows yeah, fundamentally. Then, Bitcoin okay, so, ena- so Bitcoin is enabling all of this stuff, including whatever's happening on DeFi. It, it's actually lower sure. on the stack. At least at Genesis, but moving forward and progressing and evolving, Ethereum does not need Bitcoin in the slightest to succeed. Bitcoin... Bitcoin can have a bug that inflates everything to a bajillion and then there can't be any social con- contract to agree to which block to go from and then it dies and Ethereum will just keep on chugging. Choo-choo. Maybe. I think it would very much disrupt Bitcoin or it would very much disrupt uh, Ethereum if something bad happened to Bitcoin in the short term. 
Like, I don't know if it would be existential crisis. Like, I don't think that maybe they're not, you know, if Bitcoin dies, maybe Ethereum doesn't die right away, but it would be a massive setback. It would be like a loss of a, a very fundamental piece of infrastructure to the Ethereum ecosystem. Sure. Yeah. It, it would lose its big brother. That would suck. But, yeah. So it'd be uh, bad. As yeah, in Bitcoin, we, it, it, Bitcoin is important going. for Ethereum. I mean, yeah, sure. So, I mean, I, I would say the same thing for Bitcoin. If, if Ethereum broke and had this horrible bug, I think that that would be short term, not very good for Bitcoin, even though a lot of Bitcoin maximalists would disagree with that and want uh, Ethereum to die. But right. I think that right now Ethereum is creating massive value for Bitcoin. But I mean, Bitcoin won't die if Ethereum dies. I, I will give you that, like, if Bitcoin died, shit like Litecoin and Ripple and all these non-monies would die, probably, um, because decentralization emerges, right? Um, but, oh, fuck. Uh, but uh, these things are biological organisms, and there are, so far, two biological organisms. One's Bitcoin, one's Ethereum, and they both are biological organisms living independently from each other that, that do better when each other is around. But ultimately it doesn't matter if one dies and the other one does for the, for the one that survives. I mean, I think these are speculations. Uh, I definitely think 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 that the, I think that the, the ecosystem is a lot more intertwined. And honestly, I think that there's one ecosystem like there's not the DeFi ecosystem. It's like, this is the Bitcoin ecosystem and it's all built on top. And I don't understand why like alternative chains are not part of the Bitcoin ecosystem. I think they're very much part of the Bitcoin ecosystem. Are they good investments? Fuck, that's very tough to tell. But like just having like, you know, the Bitcoin as, as this like digital hard money and then having these other things with other properties and uh, varying rates of centralization and uh, I guess trust built into them. Uh, you know, th- those are just parts of the Bitcoin ecosystem. I mean, and I, I just, I, I vehemently believe that if Ethereum, you know, continues to grow out, it's not going to like grow separately from Bitcoin. It w- it's going to continue to grow more intertwined with Bitcoin and vice versa. Yeah. But this is really just a matter of perspective, right? Like, when you're standing on the on the moon, it looks like the Earth is rotating the moon, and then when you're standing on the Earth, it looks like the sun is rotating the Earth. And then when you're standing on the sun, well, then you're at the actual center point, but you're actually not. It's really just a matter of of perspective here. So you think that Bitcoin, that Ethereum is just going to meld itself into Bitcoin? Well, I think that Bitcoin is just going to meld itself into Ethereum. It's it's just relativity here, and and, and it doesn't actually. Well, the difference has to do with what are you measuring success by. Right. And so, and everybody, everybody is relating themselves to the dollar. Right. And so when we talk about market price go up, like we're, we, we sometimes talk about the ETH first BTC ratio, but we're really talking about the ETH versus dollar ratio in the same way that Bitcoin is. Well, whenever you bring up the ETH versus BTC ratio, it's ultimately trying to measure, you know, right. which one is performing better. Right. Like so the, all the, Go ahead. Like, sure, you you could you could like say it's really about dollars, but it's really about like what is gaining more value, like what's gaining right. more buying power. Right. But yeah, so yeah, I I still think like I, I'm not biased against what like what blockchain infrastructure people use. I think that there's a lot of different blockchain infrastructures, and 
some of it, a lot of it is like hyper-related infrastructure right now. Um, I can't tell if Ether, how much of Ether is hyper-related versus not. I can't tell really how much Bitcoin is hyper-related versus not. Like you, you pretty hyper- much know that. What's that mean? Like how, how much of interest in Bitcoin is, is purely hype versus like is oh, actually, oh. yeah, which is actually like tangible um, value and utility and usage. Um, like when you look at XRP, you pretty much know that that's 100% hype related. Right? <laughs> Tron is probably like 92% hype related. Right. ETH, where is it? Is ETH, is ETH 30% hype related, 70% real? Or is ETH 30% real and 70% hype related? What's the Bitcoin hype versus real? It's just hard to, it's hard mm-hmm. to tell like what that ratio yeah. is. Because you know hype yeah. is, is in it, right? right. So like... The difference between an ETH bull and an ETH bear could be like, hum, ETH is interesting, but it's probably like 90% hype related versus, mm-hmm. hum, <laughs> you know, ETH is interesting and it's probably a really good investment. So right. I don't know. I still, I, I still just don't think it's a good investment, even if it is interesting. Like it's hard to tell what does holding the token mean for appreciation. Right. I think the answer to the question of from which perspective is the right perspective, right? So like if you're, Bitcoin is the bigger market cap, right? Which is a function, is the measure of like mass. Like market cap is mass. Uh, it's it's gravity. And, and you and I both believe in the concept of gravity as it relates to these crypto economic systems. And so if we just talk about like, okay, well, you know, on the surface of the moon, it looks like the earth is actually orbiting the moon, but that's just a preference of your position that you take inside of the crypto sphere well the the right the way to be objective about this is to compare the market caps of every uh every coin and the reason why i I bet you all ether people pay attention to the eth versus btc ratio more than bitcoiners do is because bitcoin has more market cap but as soon as uh the flipping happens in the future and ether the market cap of ether surpasses the market cap of bitcoin well, then Ether has the biggest mast. And, and then we can say, well, actually, it's Bitcoin that's coming to Ethereum, not Ether going to Bitcoin, even though it's basically the same fucking thing either way. It's like, who, who's circling who? It's, yeah, all, it's all price. It's all price. It, it, is, it is all price. Absolutely. I think like the when Ether flippins Bitcoin, it's like, how does that happen? Mm-hmm. I think that I think that is the 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 tough question here. Um, it already got to like ninety two percent one point in time. Yeah, but how much is that as hype? Also, I'm also something that people you can't measure with market cap is you can't measure how many coins are not really in circulation. I guess you could take uh, what's it called a realized cap as a mm-hmm. more like as an attempt to solve that problem. Uh, you also don't really measure liquidity that well that way. Uh, so you can mm-hmm. try to measure liquidity via volumes, but that can be faked. Like it's still just not clear at all. Well, I feel like liquidity is just something that tracks uh, mainly market cap. Liquidity just tracks the asset itself. Uh, well, a, lot, so- a lot of features track market cap, right? right. You, could, you could also say vice versa, market cap, tracks how much trust is in the is in the protocol right 
because I mean, sure. again, th- that's assuming that the market cap is a legitimate measure. Like market cap is not legitimate for most cryptocurrencies. I mean, right. theoretically, but you can is, say that market cap legitimate. is only legitimate for the top two or three. It's right. definitely yeah, not it, legitimate. It becomes for, for more Ripple. legitimate the higher up you go. Also, based on how the the coin was launched, and yeah. how like how that circulation is managed, yeah. uh, I mean, you could argue that if it wasn't proof of work launch, most likely that market cap is heavily skewed. Yeah, uh, like Ripple is like the specific engineering of that in the wrong direction. Uh, yeah. Ripple is a market answer for the need for whales to dump on noobs. That is why Ripple exists. <laughs> is the market was addressing the need for whales to dump on noobs. Yeah, it's the OG VC coin. Sure, yeah. Well, <laughs> there you go. It, it is a gift that keeps on giving because it has been nonstop dumping on noobs mm-hmm. since day one. Yeah, Uh also, I think Nick Carter also pointed this out, is like every time Tron spikes or every time Tron runs, it just gets dumped on. So like retail investors just like never actually have an opportunity to ever make any sort of real money because they just get dumped on over and over and over again. That's how you kill a coin, right? How do you feel about Tron these days? I've, I've never paid attention to it. The only, the only thing I'm butthurt about Tron is that they have that just game that's on Tron, but that's because it's a proof of stake system and you can't have the gas mechanism for just game to work on Ethereum. And so eventually when proof of stake finally comes around, we'll be able to have little like money games like just game on, on Ethereum. But yeah, that's, that is the one legitimate thing that Tron offers that Ethereum can't at the moment. Games that aren't subject to the, to gas mechanisms. It's weird. Like, how? Like, do you think that ETH two is actually going to enable a full game to operate on the blockchain? Well, I mean, it's not a game like Pac Man. It's a it's a money game. It's a money game where like the transactions are the moves, right? So yes. Like, at what point does? it become too expensive to do that kind of stuff and it gets forced up the stack. And uh, well, I mean, so we have so much opportunity for this, right? So we have 64 shards, which is a lot more room. And then we have rollups, which is a lot more room. And that's before we start doing stuff like L2. And that's before we even finish the research of just how to efficiently make uh, more efficient transactions. Like there's so much overhead room for improvement. Like it's not even, it's going to be years before we fill up the the to completely saturate the Ethereum blockchain. I don't know, man. If if it's really if it's really that good, the saturation will will come exponentially. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it, the it'll saturate it'll fill up the Ethereum blockchain, right? I mean, that's then, a good problem to have, right? That's like proof of concept, right there. Yeah. Yeah. And like people are only going to make themselves more efficient when it actually costs more money to make transactions. So like people can be super inefficient at the start of Ethereum too because of because of sharding and because of rollups. So so like you know they they can have shitty rollups and shitty gas mechanisms and companies like Realty can continue to spend you know gas every single day to send out rent every twenty four hours to like five hundred different people. Um, we won't we won't need to invest in 
uh, efficiency until much more companies are all doing the same thing. Uh, and so like, we'll, we'll have this like awesome window where we don't have to invest on, on research in, in gas efficiency for a long time. Well, I mean, I guess you are already investing in that research right now, right? Realty? No, I mean, it just, uh, or Ethereum. The, 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 yeah, it's, it's being, yeah. uh, it's being uh, subsidized by the E2 research is that, is right. that company community, um, kind of upfront research in getting efficient. Wait, what? So I guess, right. So you just said like E2 is creating a lot more capacity and all of these projects and stuff won't have to be efficient at first. They can mm -hmm. just uh, dump their externalities onto the ETH2 chain. And so right. all that capacity gets taken up and then they'll have to get their shit together. Right, yeah, as everyone dumps their quote unquote externalities, when everyone starts to do it, well then, then becoming efficient starts becoming, you know, uh, incentivized. Yeah, I mean, I guess my question is, why, don't, why, why not just get efficient now? And like incentivize efficiency now, and well, that's what, what is are, to right? well, and and what's to stop, and then what's to stop people from wanting to upgrade to ETH three and keep everything on chain. Uh, like whatever three is is like just more shards, more scale, or whatever. I mean, it's hard to it's hard to tell. I don't even know what two is going to be. <laughs> yeah, there'll probably be more shards than sixty four in the future. Uh. I wouldn't call it E3.0 because it won't, it won't ever be as a monumental of an upgrade from proof of work to proof of stake, one chain to sharded chains, uh, EVM to EWASM, like all of that's happening all at once. I would just see it starts to become more incremental. Like we go from 64 shards to, you know, 1,024 shards or, or something like that. Um, I mean, it's not like, it's not like we have that ETH2 and then we call it, huh? I'm just teasing. Uh, as it's a single order of magnitude or something like that. I don't know. Um, but like the, it, there's, we have the ETH one X chain where there's small incremental improvements to ETH one as ETH two is developed. But once ETH two is developed, like there's going to be small incremental improvements to ETH two too, until we run out of coordination abilities and ways to fund research, then there will probably always be iterations and improvement to the Ethereum blockchain. So you think that people will still keep using hard forks to upgrade E2? Yeah, and maybe this, this is probably my social contract that I think everyone else should follow, but I think it should follow like a Fibonacci sequence type pattern. So like 1, 1, 2, 3, 5, 8, 13, uh, 21. Just every time there's a hard fork, you increase the time between now and the next hard fork. Um, and at some point, like you, the hard fork goes like from 13 months to 21 months or, or something like that. Uh, I'm not proposing the exact number should be the Fibonacci sequence. Just follow that, that lengthening time. And at some point along the way, we lose the ability to actually coordinate a hard fork um, just because ossification. And then that's whatever Ethereum is at that point in time. I hope we figured it out by then. But that's the Ethereum that moves forward in, into all of eternity. That's the Ethereum. That's the actual uh, Bitcoin 2.0. Took all that effort to make a real one. So I guess really what you're saying is that people eventually will 
coordinate, coordinate, coordinate until they won't coordinate. And you have your own social contract of what you think is a good way to do it. Do it based mm-hmm. on fractals because that's in nature. <laughs> and that's math, right? Yeah. Those are great. <laughs> but um, I mean, don't you, I, I, th- I love this conversation because I feel like it just keeps coming full circle. Like, don't you see like what Pomp is trying to say? Like he, maybe he's saying it way more baseline, but he's pretty much saying that like, you are just assuming that the social contract will lead a, lead you to a point of ossification. But there's really, like, that's just an assumption. And you're hoping that everyone has the same social contract as you and that social contract will stay throughout time and then the code will continue to cement that social contract. But there's really nothing that is actually guaranteeing that for you. Like, there is no precedent right. for that. Like that's right. just, so, it's, it's really just a hope on your part that it's all going to work out. Yeah. But, but that's why, that's why the social nature of these systems is so important, right? Like it's, it's a hope I have, but like the absolute rejection of ProgPow by like 90% of the Ethereum community is a good example of why, why it's worth paying attention. Like that's, it's a, that's a success story. Uh, and, and like, the social contract is something that's malleable and that I have influence over because people listen people are listening to this. And so I suggest that we follow this social contract of increasing the time between every hard fork until at some point the hard fork stop happening. And if other people think that's a good idea, they'll adopt that and start to fight for it too. Uh, and so like what Pomp is saying and, and what you're saying is that like, no, we should, we need to start with, decentralization because decentralization emerges out of nothing you don't create decentralization well i'm the the risk the value of what ethereum can provide with its uh with the internal vm and the composability and DeFi is so incredibly large that it's worth breaking emergent decentralization understanding that we broke that and we have to get we have to circle back around to it later after we built all the cool shit like DeFi and expressibility first, we're just prioritizing DeFi before, before decentralization. And then once we have, once we have DeFi, we can get decentralization. Yeah. So, uh, a few years ago, a military general took over the Egyptian government and said, hey, we're just going to straighten things out and, you know, we'll have democracy again. But it's, that's just, Count, it's, there's there's literally systems. endless and countless stories of, hey, once we get this right, we'll, you know, we'll get back to the fundamentals. We'll get back to right. the core of sound money. Like, it, you right. just, I, I don't know, it just, it just seems like you're ignoring literally every story in history that has brought us to this point. It's the fact that we know those stories and we can share them and we can talk about them. Because I bet you, Qaddafi, is it Qaddafi you're talking about? Uh, well, it started off with Mosri uh, no and Hosri, yeah, Hosri Mubarak, and then CC most recently is who I'm talking okay. about. I bet you those guys weren't on Twitter talking about to the the right way to have governance over a social system. Like we are, we are learning those lessons. We're talking about these things. We're talking about the importance of that. So when the EF created their some subtraction men- mentality announcement, it was advised by lessons like that. Like we have the ability, the great thing about coordination is we have the ability to coordinate what we want to coordinate around. And so 
we can figure out like what our morals and what our values are and we can decide what we want to do. And like if the EF hadn't released their subtraction mentality announcement and then instead they said, they said like, you know, we're going to hire a bunch of people. We're going to figure out how to capture as much ETH as possible so we can, you know, continue to hire more people and then we can spin this thing up. I'd be like, that's the wrong path, but that's not what they're doing. So far, every choice of what the Ethereum community and what the Ethereum organizations have made are violating all of the history of, of what you're worried about. And so as so long as that path has continued to be followed, then I'm on board. That's the path I want to be on until, until you know, we start you know, putting people in leadership positions that are trying to uh, capture governance. Like I'm, I'm, I'm with Ethereum. I mean, we can keep going in circles on this. You're going to say so far it's good. And I'm going to say there's nothing proving that it's good. So let's just agree <laughs> to disagree. There's so much proving that it's good. Okay. What's next on our list? Oh shit. We didn't talk about Bankless. I mean, it, you kind of you kind of teased it a little bit, but we really talked about Pump. But yeah, let, plug plug yeah. Bankless. Yeah. So me and me and Ryan Sean Adams uh, created the exact opposite of POV crypto, where in where on POV crypto you listen to me argue and fight with Christian over and over and over again. You can instead listen to me agree with Ryan over and over and over again on Bankless. So two polar opposites uh, types of, type of content. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really an answer to. Uh, the Bitcoin idea that uh, only banklessness can be done on Bitcoin. Uh, we talk, the, the whole idea about bankless is that it talks about crypto monies, internet finance, and the internet revolution, and it doesn't talk about Ethereum versus Bitcoin. We'll probably, we probably won't be able to get away from that subject, so we'll probably have to talk about that at some point in time. But it's supposed to be an agnostic podcast to talk about the bankless revolution <laughs> using Bitcoin and Ethereum as tools. I laughed when you said agnostic. <laughs> we're going to do our best. We're going to do our best. Obviously, we're, we're going we're gonna to remove that veil at some point in time because we'll, we'll have to, have to uh, what's the right word? I don't know, come clean, um, whatever. Um, but, but the idea is, is to Ethan's talk about- don't like getting clean. And neither do Bitcoiners. Um, but yeah, the, the idea is to talk about the bankless revolution talk about a lot of the stuff I talk about in my articles um, uh, and just really be able to just kind of go back and forth with, uh, with, with Ryan about what we think about the Ethereum superstructure. Very cool. Um, I'm, I'm excited we'll to hear on, about Christian. it. We're going to bring you on to talk about uh, how Bitcoiners versus, uh, think of things versus how Ethereum people think of things. That'll be a good episode. Well, I definitely think of things differently than most Bitcoiners. So maybe I That's can only true, speak actually. for myself. Um, but, but generally speaking, uh, always, always proud and excited to, to see you branching out and doing more stuff. Um, when I say that we're prolific pro- podcasters, it's for real. Yeah. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and David is a prolific writer as well. I, I really got to get my shit together on that front, but going to keep pumping out the podcast too. Um, quick little show for me, Bitcoin Tina on Bitcoin one through four. It turned out amazing. It's actually, no offense, David, but it's the most successful in terms of download numbers podcast that I've ever oh. produced by by a, a large margin. So um, good stuff. The Bitcoiners like it. Uh, very, you know, it's a very fundamental kind of conversation. Um, and, you know, I think that even people um, that are more in the Ethereum uh, space will, will really enjoy a lot of the things that Bitcoin Tina talks about just because 
he he really advocates for how digital money is going to blow up. I mean, he obviously is a Bitcoin maximalist and um, is focused in, on how that happens with Bitcoin. But a lot of his arguments and mental models, I think that you know you can apply to um, to to something else that is being built in this space as well. So um, very much recommend it. Um, uh, an E2 developer that I'll not name is a fan and has been talking to me about it. So um, I, I always like that. Uh, there's these secret Bitcoiners everywhere. And one more shill. I'm in the last wrapping up moments of the third of three of my big articles. Uh, Ether is an organic structure or Ether is an emergent structure or something of that nature. I still need to uh, figure out exactly what I'm what I'm titling it. Hopefully, Brandon Quidem is still in the live stream listening to this because uh, I, I take right after his article. So it's a huge, huge kudos to him. Hopefully, he's okay with me kind of riffing off of his uh, his uh, OG title. Um, this this last article really wraps up the first two. Ether is a new model of money, and Ether is equity. Once this one is out there, instead of writing another article, I'm going to be working on how do I stitch these three things together into one seamless essay. I don't know what do you, what do you call a, an article that's like 40 to 50 minutes long, like an essay. Um, hopefully, I'll get some some Gitcoin money to be able to fund some graphic designers to make it nice and pretty. And that'll be the uh, indoctrination, indoctrination uh, literature for, for bringing people into the Ethereum ecosystem. So stay tuned for that. That's coming out uh, in, in maybe two weeks, maybe less. Yay. In a roundabout way, you're bringing them all back to Bitcoin. You guys can find the show at POV CryptoPod. You can find me at CK underscore Snarks. You can find me at Trustless State, both on Twitter and on Bankless. Subscribe to POV Crypto. Also subscribe to Bankless. You can see me there as well. Check out the first episode. It was a good one.